Imagine More is a weekly podcast that explores the stories, passions, successes, and failures of young, unconventional entrepreneurs. Chantel works to uncover the person behind the passion and unpack the ingredients of their entrepreneurial minds. What is it that makes them imagine more? Hey there, and welcome back to the Imagine More podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. Today, I'm so excited to welcome Erica Graham to the show. She's the co-founder and president of Project 88. Uh, they are a Houston-based organization, and they encourage a college-going culture and support leadership development in low-income, high-need communities, really assisting students uh, with the tools and resources to succeed. And I'm so excited to learn more about their organization and how they got started, so let's just get started. Hi, Erica. Welcome to the Imagine More podcast. Hi, I'm so happy to be here. I'm excited too. I know we've been trying to schedule forever. Yeah. Um, and I'm glad, I know it's busy as entrepreneurs, so I'm glad we were able to make it work. But I'm super excited to hear a little bit more about your story and share it with our listeners as well. To kick things off, do you mind telling us a little bit about Project 88? Yes. Yeah, so um, I was a teacher in 2013. And I taught high school um, freshman English, and I also taught college readiness. And I realized while teaching college readiness that the process of going to college is just so complicated. Um, I don't know if you remember, but I, I remember that my parents really knew kind of how to navigate that space with me. And um, my mom was a teacher, so, so she knew about ACT and SAT prep and getting good grades and kind of set the expectations for how that was going to play into my future. So when I taught high school at a low-income high school, I realized that a lot of those kids didn't get that same support at home. And the process of selecting and navigating that college admissions process is just so complicated. So um, in 2014, there was um, a crisis in Houston. There were 700 students for every one college advisor in HISD public schools. Jeez. And as a teacher, I had 16 students in my college readiness class, and I was already in freakout mode. Um, thinking about, you know, when you, when you think about preparing students for college, especially first-generation students, for many of them, it, it means that they're going to end the cycle of generational poverty in their families. And so I knew the severity and importance of getting those students to college, not only for themselves, but for their future children and for their families and what it would mean for them to break the cycle of poverty. And so I took that job of helping those 16 students um, really seriously, because to me, it felt like their future was dependent on how I navigated this space with them. And so when I thought of the Houston public schools and helping 700 kids, I mean, there is just no way you can help 700 students make responsible decisions about not only finding a college that fits them, but maybe deciding together that college isn't the right choice. And, you know, for many kids that maybe school isn't the best option for them. There are amazing careers you can get at um, like a Houston community college, um, electricians, plumbers. You can have a really great life with a two-year degree as well, or even no degree. Like an entrepreneur, there are lots of entrepreneurs that did, didn't necessarily have to go to college. 
But regardless of what the right solution is, um, being counseled through those decisions and knowing what you're good at and what kind of personality you have um, as far as making those decisions um, is really important. So we started Project 88 in 2014, and our goal was to increase the number of college advisors in Houston public schools. And so that first year, we were, we, we were able to sponsor eight college advisors um, in eight high schools to increase that ratio to 250 to one. That's amazing. So I have, I have so many initial um, questions, and I, I guess I'll start with pretty um, rudimental one, but where, where does the name come from? Yes. Okay. So my husband played in 2010, he was drafted in the NFL draft to go play for the Houston Texans. And so um, he was number 88. And so I always knew, they say the NFL stands for not for long. So if you're in the NFL, you know your career <laughs> is going to be short. And I kind of liked that because I think the problem that a lot of entrepreneurs run into, and especially people that are more perfectionistic, is they wait until it's the right time. And I think I totally would have been one of those people that just had ideas and never acted on them. And the beauty of the NFL is that I knew we had a short window where people were going to care about my husband and that after that was over, nobody was going to care anymore. <laughs> and so the sense of urgency kind of kicked me in the butt a little as, hey, you have to start this now because people care and pretty soon they won't. And you never know when your career is over. So as someone who I think was more perfectionistic before, I kind of had to just go with a good enough mentality. Now is the right time. Jump into the mess. Figure it out now because later isn't going to be there. Right. I love that. I mean, I think that's so much about being a starter and you're never going to know all of the answers. You just have to run with it and figure it out as you go. Um, Okay. you touch on sponsoring counselors. So can you go a little bit into um, how does that model work for you guys? Is, so the goal to just get additional jobs within the schools. Can, can you enlighten us a little bit about yeah. what that looks like? Yeah. So, you know, when, when we found out that the statistics were 700 to one, um, I met with a bunch of people um, the summer that we decided to start Project 88 and my goal that summer was just to learn and to apply for our 501c3 status and to build a board and advisory board. So I didn't really know how we were going to hire advisors, where we were going to get them. I didn't have any of the answers, but I knew starting now in the mess, jumping in was the right way to go about it. So I set up three meetings a day for one entire summer. And for those three months, I meet with three people, and they were all in the education realm. Some of them were in the nonprofit space. Others um, were college advisors at high schools. And I learned about the landscape of how are college counselors being taught? Um, What is HISD already doing to solve this need? Are there other solutions that they're using that are getting drowned out in the statistics? And what I found is that the reason there aren't many college advisors is because there really is no college advising program. Um, You can't go to school to be a college advisor. You can go to school to be a school counselor, 
But that's more like therapy and social emotional needs. It's not necessarily college advising. So there really is no college advising training program that one could go train at and then become a college advisor. And so through that process of learning over three months and building a board, an advisory board, and applying for our 501c3 status, um, I learned that there was a program called Advise Texas, and they were training college advisors to go into schools for two years. And it was kind of like Teach for America, only college advisors. And so it was a much smaller program than Teach for America. But what we were able to do is support that program. And that program demands that the school district district or the school has some buy-in and um, pays for their services. And so what Project 88 does is we know that the schools that need the advisors the most, which happen to be some of the poorer schools and some of the um, underserved schools in the Houston area, the schools that need them the most are also the schools that don't have the resources um, to pay for the college advising services from Advise Texas. So we were able to, on behalf of those schools, pay that fee so that the counselors could serve in those schools and we were the sponsor, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that does. I mean, I think it's pretty eye-opening. I just had no idea that some of the college advisors in my school were not, um, I mean, it was like a luxury to have that. I, I didn't know that that was a position that wasn't in every school. Yeah. And it's interesting, a lot of, some of the um, unintended, I mean, our, our mission is to increase college access in the city of Houston and beyond for underserved students and to connect students to opportunity. But one of the joys of this work has been that I've gone into, you know, all eight of our schools and I've talked to the principals and the other counselors the outside of our personal sponsored advisors. And one of the counselors told me, he said, because we have a college advisor, I can actually do my job. And so by offering college advising support, we also, in a way, got to help the school with mental health, with mental health support, because now the counselor could actually be a counselor because that's what they went to school for. That's really amazing. So when you, you heard these statistics and you felt that immense pressure of helping those students in your class. Did you stop doing that to start this or has it been something you've just continued to do on the side and now it's grown? Uh, did you, yeah. Can you talk us through a little yeah. bit of that? So um, I did quit teaching to when the year that I started Project 88 and I am blessed and cursed with kind of an obsessive personality. <laughs> so um, I knew that if I was going to do it, I was going to do it. And doing it on the side didn't feel like an option for me at the time. And because, um, you know, where I, I hit, the, hit the jackpot, I guess, with my husband's career and that I had the luxury not to have to do it on the side. I know a lot of people that start nonprofits, you know, just not worrying about an income is not feasible and is not a realistic solution. But um, I was very aware of that privilege I had around um, my husband's job. And because of that, I got to kind of go gung-ho 100% um, as far as putting all my energy into Project 88 that year. 
That's exciting. So how did you figure out the funding piece and the donors and um, how were you able to sponsor those first eight advisors and how has it grown over the past couple years? Yeah. So um, what we did is I have found that for fundraising, it's a lot easier to host an event. So I'm more comfortable going to a small business and saying, would you like to purchase a table for $10,000 at our event? We would love to put you on our website and get you included mentoring students in our schools. And I I like kind of talking about how the value will be mutual um, as far as as far as just asking for money, for whatever reason, it's easier to ask them to buy a table than to give me money. (laughs) So (laughs) I decided we're going to have a big gala. And so we were nine months out and we uh, threw our very first gala in April. um, And I just worked on going door to door, selling tables, meeting with business owners. Um, I learned a lot about rejection. (laughs) Um, which um, as a sensitive person was, um, was, was good for me, I think, because I am a very sensitive person and I tend to t- take things personally. But the good thing about when you're asking on behalf of students that don't have a platform and a voice, um, you can really get behind a why and whatever hurt or hurt feelings that comes with that, you just have to realize why you're doing it. So um, I went, me and my mom, my mom is our secretary for our nonprofit. We just went, we hit up like three small businesses a day and we'd hand them out our flyers, tell them what we were doing, ask them if they want to sponsor our event. And most did not want to, but the couple that did um, ended up coming (laughs) through in pretty large numbers. So that's amazing. So now you had the event in April. Is that will be the signature event each year to help? And I guess how often do you have to fundraise? Are you fundraising for additional, like to increase the counselors? Or are you fundraising to continue to keep the eight that you guys have already secured in the schools? Yeah, so it's, it's pretty much been a process of maintaining. So um, we have... Our, our very first year, we raised about $375,000 at our gala. And um, about every year, we get close to 400000 So um, that's really the bulk of our fundraising money is all at that one event. And then the really fun part is after April, beginning of May, I just write the checks and drain the bank account back down to $20,000. So... I know some nonprofits invest money or hang on to it or really strategize. We basically raise and then give out right away in our bank accounts back to almost or to $20,000 to get us through to the next um, fiscal year. That's great. That's, I mean, really exciting to also hear that it all goes back into that uh, for the most part, which is amazing. What's been the biggest lesson that you've learned so far? Oh, gosh. So many. I've done so many things wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think the first year we tried to really build out our own stuff. We had a lot of our own college workshops. We hosted FAFSA workshops. We had mentorship meetups with students. And I realized that there's a lot of nonprofits doing that kind of stuff better. 
And so what we did, what we decided last year is we're going to support the structures that already exist. So um, I, I'm well, I, I'm well connected in the college access space in the Houston area. And so if there's a nonprofit working with underserved students and they've dreamed of hosting this event, but they've never been able to because it costs them $10,000, we've been able to give most of our money to college advisors, but we also have this separate retainer where we put on um, college readiness events. And instead of them being Project 88 events, we just sponsor other nonprofits because they already have the staff, the um, structures in place. They just don't have the extra income to do that. And not only is it less work for me, but it's also um, run better because they've been doing this for decades. Mm-hmm. I love what you said about supporting the others as opposed to trying to be that one-stop shop for everyone and do everything um, right. and actually kind of working collaboratively within this space with other people and nonprofits that are trying to do something similar. I, I mean, we even in our business, I relate to that because we specialize in social media and have always been really hyper-focused on that, which has been really helpful. Um, but even we've gotten even deeper um, and a little bit more micro and saying, you know, we only serve these industries. And at first it was a little scary to turn away that or, or not try to do and help everyone. But um, it's actually been really advantageous to specialize and be able to articulate that. And, and then people are just really clear on what you do and how you do it and know that you do it really well. So I, it's neat to see that translate to a nonprofit as well. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. What is it? What does your day-to-day look like? I mean, I imagine when you're planning for the events, it's very event-heavy and fundraising for that. But maybe after the the event, what does a day look like for you now? So my day-to-day, um, it's actually kind of uh, – I, I feel like I get this question a lot, and it's so random. Um, it's – I try to just stay really connected in the Houston community and reach out to as many people as I can authentically. And I find that when you just approach the day with curiosity and connection as your goal and maybe learning, that the rest kind of falls into place. Because one thing about the fundraising space is people are smart and they know when you're just trying to get money out of them or you're trying to be friends with them to sell them something. Or, you know, I think us humans are a lot smarter than we realize and we can pick up on that. And so I really set an intention every day to just be authentic, make connections. And I trust that people are good. And when they see how great this need is, that they're just going to care. They're going to care because they're human beings. And when you hear of a problem that drastic in our public schools, um, you just naturally care. Yeah, I love that. I think that's such an amazing way to go about your day instead of it trying to be from like a, a selfish standpoint of like just trying to sell, sell, sell essentially or fundraise, fundraise, uh-huh. fundraise and, and more about let's build a genuine connection and try to help each other however we can and just deepen that relationship. I think that's really powerful. Yes. 
Yeah, it, and, and it takes the pressure off me because I don't have to feel like, oh, I got to do this today and I like this is what a successful day looks like or this is what I want to get today. It's more of a receiving. It's I'm going to be curious and learn and connect and I trust it's going to go somewhere. Yeah, no, I think that's great. I want to switch gears just a little bit. You mentioned your mom's involved as a secretary. Is it just the two of you? or um, And then what prompted her to get into the business as well? So um, my mom is the secretary. And then uh, three years ago, we hired a program manager. And um, she's paid on a monthly retainer. And um, she is just an entrepreneur herself. So she's self-motivated. I don't have to micromanage her at all. Um, we check in maybe once a week or a couple times a month. And she organizes a lot of the mentorship involvement because a lot of our sponsors want to get more involved in our mission. And so she pairs them up with students and um, offers them opportunities to get more hands on. So she is um, paid on a monthly retainer year round. But so the employees are really me, Brittany, who's our program manager, and then my mom who's not paid. So she's not a real employee. <laughs> nice. And how did you find Brittany? Um, I actually, so I, I shouldn't say, so Brittany is paid by Project 88, but we, we hire out, like we have a creative agency that does our um, website and all of our other stuff. We have an event manager that manages our events. And I actually found Brittany through our event manager. And she had recommended that I talk to this young entrepreneur that um, was getting things done in Houston. <laughs> and um, it's funny, when I met her, I thought, you know, that was a random meetup. We have a lot in common, but we'll probably just be friends. And then when my husband got um, picked up by the Broncos and we had to move from the Texans to Denver, I thought, who can, who in Houston can do what I do? And understand it. And right away, I thought of Brittany. And so I gave her a call and asked if she would be willing to come in as kind of a, a part-time advocate on my behalf. And that I would still maintain a lot of the donor relationships and um, strategy. But if she could really be on the ground attending the events and working with the students. And um, so it worked out perfectly. So I went to Denver for a year. And Brittany became, I called her the Erica 2.0 because she's actually better than me. <laughs> so she was Erica 2.0 and did everything better than I did. So then once I realized how much we needed her, I couldn't let her go when we moved back here. That sounds amazing. Um, just a couple more questions for you, Erica. What is next on the horizon for you and Project 88? Where do you see the organization going? You know, I think responsible businesses often have like those fancy five-year and 10-year plans. And unfortunately, I've been someone who takes one year at a time. Um, <laughs> I didn't mention this, and this can probably be another podcast. But um, I actually um, struggled with addiction um, end of college, beginning of when I moved to Houston before I started teaching. And when you're an addict, there's this thing that you take one day at a time. And that's kind of my mantra for Project 88. We do the next right thing in small and big moments. And we just trust that, um, that God and faith and the goodness of people are going to carry us to grow and expand. So I don't know what's I, next. I, I, I hope we keep uh, 
moving in a growth direction and maintaining the the advocacy that we've been able to do here in Houston. Well, I appreciate you sharing that and being so transparent. I think like that is also just a good reminder that you can try to plan out so much, but it does change every day or it could change every day. So, um, you know, just facing each day and doing the best that you can is certainly uh, very important. Yeah. And, and likewise, this has been so healing for me. Um, it's been something that I could just throw myself into something that is bigger and truer. And I have selfishly benefited so much from this work as well. That's great. And then how can we learn more and get involved? Um, if any of the listeners are interested, how can we get in touch with you and the organization? Yes, you can visit project88.org. And there's all kinds of, of information. There's some statistics on um, our impact numbers. And you can follow us on social media at we are Project 88 And those are two ways you can keep, keep, uh, keep up with us, I suppose. <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Erica, for carving out the time to connect. We really appreciate your insight on what makes you imagine more.